You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. As much as I'd want to work on the struggle as real full-time, I do have a day job. I could gripe about my nine to five, but I actually really enjoy it. I like who I work with, who I work for, and what I work on. It also creates really cool opportunities like the one you're about to hear today. A colleague who leads an internal learning and develop initiative called MMA Talks asked if I'd want to present at their monthly webinar series. MMA Talks sits at the crossroads of personal development, professional skills, and DE&I awareness, that is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Of course I was in, and at first I figured I'd cover a professional skill like networking or email management, but instead I decided to merge my two lives together and do what I do best, host a conversation. I asked two former podcast guests to join me, Ahmed Jabber, episode 61, and Nate Dukes, episode 41, and I was grateful they both said yes. Our title for the talk was Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover, with the goal to illustrate Ahmed and Nate's life experiences that led to judgment from themselves and others. You'll hear about how childhood teasing led to Ahmed's struggle with confidence, how Nate found himself in a Tennessee jail after a string of bad decisions, and how they both overcame external judgment and turned their lives around. I hope you enjoy my conversation with two friends of the podcast, Ahmed Jabber and Nate Dukes. Welcome to MMA Talks, everybody. My name is Nicole, and I'm one of the co-leads of this initiative alongside my colleague, Sam Held. The topic of our MMA Talks today is called Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover. It is hosted and moderated by our fellow colleague of our Austin, Texas office, Justin Peters, waving now. Justin is also the founder and host of a podcast called The Struggle is Real. I do highly recommend it. Our two panelists today Ahmed Jabber and Nate Dukes are actually previous guests on the podcast. Thank you both for joining us. I'm going to pass it over to Justin to do the panelist introduction and to kick us off. Thank you all for joining. I am super stoked to be here. Huge shout out to Sam and Nicole for inviting me to be part of this. It's, it's really cool. I didn't know MMA Talks was happening. This must be fairly new since I left the uh, upper Midwest region, but thank you so much for allowing me to share space today. So my name is Justin Peters, working corporate operations, but I have a soft spot for the upper Midwest region. It is where I came from, where I got started. I am a St. Louis boy through and through. Started in our JW Terrell, now MMA St. Louis office in 2012. So 10 years ago, I'm dating myself there a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's awesome. I loved it so much. I had a brief hiatus from MMA for about a year and a half. I, I missed it so much that I, I came back around for round two. So thank you so much for having me guys and excited. We have the working title of Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover. And of course, you'll hear from two of my amazing friends, Ahmed Jabber and Nate Dukes, and their stories, Ahmed particularly being bullied in school because of where he was born, and then Nate, a convicted felon, and so there's a lot of judgment that comes along with that as well. So of course, this conversation is just a reminder to not be so quick to judge others, but also just to help also recover from self-inflicted judgment. I think you'll hear from both of these storylines that this external bullying and judgment really morphed into internal shame. And a lot of them, both of them had to do some work to grow out of that and, and really take some, some ownership and really develop a new identity for themselves. So excited that this talk is going to be all centered around that, you know, just kind of a gentle reinforcement that the person you were is not necessarily the person that you know you can become. Ahmed Jabber and Nate Dukes, amazing people. Really excited to get you introduced to them. First up, Ahmed Jabber. Here's his bio. Hope you guys are excited. When Ahmed was a toddler, he moved from Iraq to Canada. He struggled in English, and in the fifth grade, his teacher transferred him into the English as a second language classroom. He was embarrassed, and he believed his English grade would represent how far he would go in life. Throughout school, Ahmed was teased and bullied by other kids about his name, his appearance, and his race. He entered college as someone who was severely shy, lacked confidence, and thought he was stupid. This all began to change 
when he was in psychology class and the professor asked a simple question, I need a volunteer. Fired by the Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man, Ahmed recently made a promise to say yes to more social discomfort. And this was the first opportunity that presented itself. Ahmed was hesitant, but he raised his hand. And of course, he was selected. He played the role of volunteer in front of his 250 classmates. And to his surprise, it went off without a hitch. This kicked off a journey of Ahmed leaning into social discomfort. I would say he overcame that lack of confidence because in February 2022, Ahmed became a TEDx speaker, presenting a talk entitled, Why You Should Pursue Social Discomfort, where he discussed his experience and lessons learned from meeting 100 strangers from 45 countries in 89 different cities during the pandemic. Ahmed Jabber, folks. How are you? I'm doing great. I absolutely loved that video. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very honored for that. Yeah, no, your your story is is really incredible. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the last six months. Excited to expand on your story a little bit, dive into some things that we talked about on the podcast as well. So why don't we just kick things off and kind of fill a big hole in there? You know, where did the idea of meeting 100 strangers germinate from? Oh, man. So it really dates back to what you were talking about in that video. And nine years ago, I had hit my rock bottom and I just did not like where I was, the way that I spoke. And I was just absolutely petrified with speaking with people. I mean, in, in high school, I used to remember setting a meeting with my vice principal and saying like, please, I don't care if I lose marks, I flunk. I don't want to do any more presentations in class. I ask you to get the teachers in the class not to choose me as a volunteer for anything. I'm just too uncomfortable with all of that because the social anxiety was just too much. Through that period, and I guess you have a bit more questions later on, so I'll delve into that later. But through that rock bottom period, it made me realize just how much I want to push myself outside of my comfort zone because there's no way to go but just up. And so I started my own journey of pushing myself outside of my comfort zone and did random projects to do that. But at the start of the pandemic, I heard about a man named Rob Lawless. And for those that don't know him, Rob is on a journey to meet and interview 10,000 people. And it's just absolutely wild. When I heard that, I was absolutely shocked. And so when I heard about that, I obviously I'm like, hey, I want to be one of those 10,000 people. And when I heard about him, he was on, I believe, number 3,000. And through that experience, I thought, hey, if Rob's doing 10,000, what if I meet 100? And so I posted in the Yes Theory and Seek Discomfort Facebook group, which I'm wearing and repping their shirt right now. That picture that you saw with me in the whiteboard, that's the picture I posted in that Facebook group. And I'm like, hey, my name is Ahmed. I'm from Toronto and I'd love to hear your story. And I ended up getting hundreds of people commenting from all over the world interested to participate to be one of my 100 people. And so it took me about seven months to finish this project, but it just became so, so life-changing. And it became a very full circle moment for me to reflect on my own past and my own struggles with my differences. Yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely get into a little bit more of the, the 100 people. A couple key relationships came out of that. And it's really cool. I think you started that project like right around the, the start of the pandemic as well. So this like perfect project to like go out and meet more people while the majority of the world was kind of closing in and, and staying within their core group. It was March 2020. So right when uh, things start to close down, it just sort of happened. I got really lucky with this idea and it just sort of flourished. Yeah. And you actually met Rob Lawless through the the posting as well. I think someone like tagged him or something whenever you made that post and he ended up being one of your hundred people. Yeah. So interestingly enough, so Rob gets a lot of people reaching out to him because he has about, I think, 40,000 followers now. And I messaged him and I didn't really hear back on his personal Instagram because he gets so much. But when I made that post, someone had tagged Rob and Rob became intrigued and he ended up finding me on Instagram and DMing me back. He's like, oh, I saw your post and how about I be one of your 100 and you be one of my 10,000? And he ended up becoming my uh, second person. And that's wow. where I really learned from him. I asked him, I really picked his brain to see like what what's working, what isn't working to make sure like I make 
the most out of this memorable experience. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> it, it seems like having 100 conversations with strangers is like literally your, your teenage nightmare, which yeah. is really great. I know I shared with the audience in the bio that you had your, your yes man moment in that college psychology class, but there was more than this was more than just a silly challenge to yourself. Like earlier in that class, your professor walked you through this core beliefs exercise that really triggered this transformation and this journey for you. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So in this was a psychology class. And so in it, our professor was talking about how every human being, if they dig really deep down, they're going to have one core belief or line about themselves. Hmm, I wonder what that would be for me. And instantly what popped up is I am a loser. And that was like at a point in my life where I was at a really big rock bottom, but it was a belief that I had always had. And so when she said that, I'm like, oh man, I, I need to change. I, I don't like the fact that my core belief is I'm a loser. And knowing that how I felt at this rock bottom stage in my life, because of every external thing that was going on in my life, I want to change this. So a professor afterwards, she didn't just say like, oh, here's your core belief and, and that's it. She actually gave us some tools afterwards. And she mentioned that one of them is if you get a journal, write three good things about yourself every single day for a year. Over time, your core belief about yourself can change. And we start by saying the core belief we want, and then we write because, and we say what we did that was good. For example, I wanted my core belief to be, I am great. And so what I did is every single day, I told myself, I'm going to write, I am great because, I don't, it could be like, I opened the door for somebody. I'm great because I passed this psychology class, just whatever it is. And I promised myself in that moment, I didn't want this just to be things that I do. I wanted to do different things every single day. That way it's not just writing the same thing every day. Like, hey, I'm great because I opened the door. I opened the door, I opened the door. Like I wanted something different. I wanted to push myself outside of my comfort zone. I'm like, I'm going to say yes more. I almost like had an epiphany in those five minutes. I had zoned out. I was in La La Land. I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm going to do this. It was like a movie moment because when I, when I just tapped back in to, I guess, what was going on in, in the classroom, all I heard my professor say is, I need a volunteer. Oh no. I told myself I'd say yes to things, but like there's 250 people all around me. I'm not going to say yes to this. I'm not sure if anybody here has felt this way before, but you just, something is just pushing you. It's just calling you deep inside. Like I need to do this. And it was like the desperation of how horrible about myself that I felt. So I just felt like something was just raising my hand and I raised it. And out of about 20, 30 other raised hands, she picked me and I volunteered. <laughs> and that gave me, that became my first journal entry that day. I am great because I volunteered in my abnormal psychology class with about 250 students. And I remember it to this day because it was September 24th, 2014. Mm. And that journal entry gave me so much momentum that I ended up writing in that journal for 700 consecutive days. I was desperate to change that core belief. Well, I'm really excited to dig more into your story. We're going to flip over to Nate. But for anyone that didn't hear in the bio as well, Ahmed did move from Iraq to Canada. And a lot of this inner dialogue or core belief he created for himself up, you know, through college there was because of bullying, because of your name, because mm. of your appearance. I mean, clearly you were more hairy than some people around you. So it's just like wild things that, you know, in middle school and high school are you know, the kids out there that tease for certain things and aren't really thinking through some of these things are, you know, it's it's a shame, but obviously it left a huge mark on you. So we'll get into that and more, but uh, Ahmed, I'll let you be for, for a couple of minutes. I want to bring on Nate Duke. So Sam, do you mind playing Nate's bio for me? Who's Nate? Nate's an author, speaker, business owner, and the board member of a nonprofit that serves underprivileged youth. This is a really impressive resume for someone that's only in his 30s, but what is even more impressive is the journey that Nate took to get here. In his early 20s, Nate was a business owner chasing success while dealing with a secret drug addiction. Nate eventually hit rock bottom and found himself in a Tennessee jail for six months after getting busted for stealing a car. He was written off as a lost cause and was told he would never change, but he was insistent on changing that script. 
When Nate got out of jail, he focused on making the right choices, although challenging at times. After turning his life around, Nate shifted his mission to helping others do the same. And in 2021, Nate published his debut book, You'll Never Change, Create Your Comeback and Prove Them Wrong. Today, Nate spends his time sharing his story to inspire others, particularly current inmates, that they can change and a comeback is possible. Nate, my man. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Super excited to have you on, man. It's been a little while since we've last chatted. So pumped to jump into your story and, and share it with so many of my colleagues out there. They heard your bio. Let's start with the elephant in the room. How does someone sure. go from successful business owner to handcuffed in the back of a cop car? Like, I know yeah. I left a huge gap <laughs> in that storyline. So maybe you, you can just pick us up with the payroll day moment and kind of the yeah. subsequent events from there. Yeah, absolutely. First, I want to say thank you so much to Justin. You're an incredible human being, bro. I've known you for about a year now. And even the moments of my life, Post our conversation, our first conversation, you've always just been a super good friend to me. So I'm super thankful to be a part of this. That being said, so let's kind of fill in some gaps for you guys. I own a bar and a restaurant and I'm dealing with a secret drug addiction that nobody really knows about, especially I was in my twenties. And I thought that this place in my life where I thought I could figure it all out on my own. Nobody's going to tell me how to do this because I've got the world figured out right now. I don't know if anybody in their twenties can relate to that, or if there are any 20 year olds that feel like that right now. Um, I've been there. For me, it just wasn't true. That being said, I went to this point in my life where not only was I dealing with a secret drug addiction, I also had a secret gambling addiction that nobody really knew about. It was because I was constantly chasing the next high. And I was the definition of what they would call a bad gambler. So I would just go to the casinos and I would just lose all of my money consistently. You'd think at some point I would lose or I would learn my lesson, but I, I never actually did. In fact, I kept getting worse and going deeper and deeper and deeper until all of my resources that I personally had in my bank account were gone. I gambled them all away. So now I have a business partner and I have a business and those bank accounts are full. And so I guess at the time I thought, well, like I own this business. Isn't, isn't it my money anyways? Like, can I just, can I just move stuff around? So here's some business 101 for you guys. You can't take business funds and use them for personal investments like gambling. That technically that's called embezzlement. And so there I was stealing money from my own business. Eventually got to the point where it was payday and we had about 10 to 15 employees who we were supposed to pay that day who worked really hard, who had to put food on their tables and the bank accounts were empty. So my business partner comes in and you can see the look on his face and he's kind of like confused and frustrated. And then all of a sudden it started to catch up to me, realized that I had taken all of the money the night before and I had, I had gambled it all away. And that was the point that he gave me an ultimatum. And he said, you can either sign this business over to me free and clear, or I'm going to get lawyers involved and I'm going to press charges. And so here I am, this 27 year old who's in way over his head and I've got to make a decision on what I want to do. I signed everything over, essentially giving him Well, up to that point was my life's work. I moved back in with my parents for the third time, which, oh my gosh, that was, (laughs) (laughs) that was real rock bottom, y'all. So, so there it was, and still just trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Cause at that point I pretty much lost everything. I could hardly get a job. I get a job as a server at a local restaurant somewhere, and I would end up doing what I knew how to do, which was take from the cash register. Mm. I'd get caught for doing that, and then I'd get fired again. And this cycle kept perpetuating itself until finally the last time that I had gotten fired from a job, it was it was like two o'clock in the morning. I was walking around my parents' apartment complex, and I was looking at different vehicles to see if any of them were unlocked. And really what I was trying to do was trying to find anything that I could take, anything that I could sell to really feed the addiction, this beast that was on the inside of me. And I ended up finding the keys to a 1999 Buick LeSabre. Why that car? I don't know. But I thought to myself as I I held those keys in my hand, maybe this is the chance to start my life over. I had a friend who lived in Houston, Texas that said, Nate, if you ever find a way to get down here, I'll help you get back on your feet. He had no idea that I was about to steal a car. Truth be told, neither did I. I mean, but when you find yourself in the wrong place with the wrong headspace, I mean, how many of us know that we never know what is possible? And so I was in the middle of making two really bad decisions. So you go with the one that feels less painful in the moment. And so I loaded up a few garbage bags of clothes and I, and I took off and I made it about halfway right outside of a small town in Nashville, Tennessee. It's called Cheatham County. 
I pulled into a gas station to get some sleep because I'd been up for a few days at that point. Uh, I was woken up at 9 a.m. to three really loud bangs on the driver's side window. A stranger's hand reached into the car, pulled me out, put me in handcuffs, and sat me in the back of a cop car. And it was in that moment that I, first of all, I thought to myself, number one, how did you get here? But number two, you're never going to change. That was the, the voice that was so loud in my head. And, and it was something that you know ex-girlfriends had said to me, business partners had said to me, but the one that was loudest in that moment were my own thoughts and the voice that was in my own head. And so I went to, to Cheatham County Jail where I spent six months of my life. I was with the country boys. I didn't know where I was. <laughs> I didn't know any of these people. And I'll tell you, it was one of the best things that could ever happen to me. Once a week or once a month, they offered something called church service. And I wasn't really interested in going to church, but I was interested in getting out of that, that pod for just a little while. So here we are like 16 guys walking down this long hallway and we're all wearing like orange jumpsuits. And by the way, orange is not a good color on any, any man. I stand by that. And so we file into the cinder block room and, and we sit down and this really, really old guy walks in with a really, really old guitar. He looks at us and he says, fellas, the only difference between you and me is that I didn't get caught for the things that I had done wrong. And he starts playing this song, Amazing Grace. He goes, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. For me, it was hard to describe that moment because it really felt like a, a peaceful moment, a perfect moment. But you look around the room and you see like these guys who had hurt people, taking advantage of others with tears streaming down their face. And you could feel the remorse in their heart. It was in that moment I just, you know, I just cried out. I said, listen, if it's possible to change, I want to, because this is not the life for me. I don't want to live it anymore. When I got out of jail, when I got out of Cheatham County Jail, after six months, they gave me a felony, one felony, theft over 1,000, and two years of probation. When I got out, I got really obsessed with personal development and how do you make real change happen? Not just like, hey, I'm going to go to the gym for two months and I'm going to try and get in shape and then I'm not going to stay consistent with it. But how do I make real change happen in my life? And I went on this like really crazy journey of really trying to become the best version of myself emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially. How do I have the best relationships possible? And now fast forward, you know, my life's in a very different place. Is it easy all the time? Absolutely not. None of our lives are. They were never designed to be like that. Is it full of more fulfillment and joy? Yes, absolutely. Who I was is not who I am now, but it, I love what Ahmed was just saying about the identity of who we are. When we make that decision to be somebody different, all of a sudden, when we make that internal decision, our outward actions start to reflect it and our outward world starts to change as well too. I'm super thankful for the life that I get to live now. You know, I wrote this book last year. It came out. It did really well when it came out. I was on like 50 different podcasts. Justin's was my favorite of all of them. It was absolutely the best. He's such a pro. And now I get to, to share my message, help people as much as I possibly can. My wife and I feel this call to be, we call it being ridiculously generous. So we want to empower as many people as possible, not just with our words and our stories, but also with our finances as well too. And so now we're just on this journey of trying to be lights in the dark place for other people around us. Mm. Mic drop, man. <laughs> I love hearing that story every single time. And I was doing some more prep work for this conversation. And it's been, you know, about a year since you've been on the podcast. And I got to re-listen to some of the amazing conversations that you've had on various podcasts and our conversation as well. And I was like, oh my gosh, this one gets me every single time. Hey, Ahmed, man, can I uh, get you back on video here? I want to start asking you guys maybe a couple dual questions. I'll throw some things out your way. So I mentioned in my intro that, you know, half the battle is honestly facing your own demons. You know, you obviously, we can't really control other people's actions, but we can control our thoughts and, you know, subsequent our actions as well. And Nate, I know one of your favorite John Maxwell quotes is, if you want the world to change, you have to be the one to change first. So running with that, I'll start with you, Ahmed, too. This kind of shy, insecure kid coming into college, you branch out and, you know, really lean into social discomfort. And that really started to break the mold of, this identity that was created that I am shy. And of course, over your you know childhood, you were probably routinely reminded that you are the shy guy. And then obviously you started to you know believe that. And it took something as substantial as going out and meeting a hundred different strangers to kind of break that inner dialogue with yourself. On that, you also had another inner dialogue that you are not smart. 
And that might have stemmed from, you know, coming from Iraq and speaking Arabic, then in fifth grade, getting placed in the English as a second language class and, you know, quickly snowballed down into I'm, I'm not smart here. You had this other really cool challenge before meeting the 100 people as well, around 100 books. Can you share a little bit about that challenge and what you learned or what kind of grew from that? First of all, I want to emphasize what Nate was saying. Justin, you're absolutely phenomenal. I just absolutely love the way that you ask and articulate questions. And Nate, I had goosebumps while you were sharing what you're sharing. I really appreciated your story. Justin had so much to say about you, and I'm excited to check out your your podcast after this. In regards to what you were asking, Justin, uh, you're asking about the 100 books and what, I guess, led me to that. Because of being placed inside the ESL classroom, I really began to just despise English and anything to do with my English classroom. And that mixed with bullying that was going on for uh, my name, my race, my culture. I just didn't feel like I was in the right place. And so what had happened is I, I think I hit a, f- a few different rock bottoms in my life. And after every single one, it leads me to wanting to start a project or a different experience to try to change that mindset. One of them was English and I had always avoided it. And something I wanted to get more into is public speaking at that point in my life. And I realized me avoiding English class my whole life and being so shocked that I even got into university with my horrible English grade, I don't want to just get by on luck. After really meeting someone that I really admired, who almost became a bit of a mentor figure in my life. He really told me, I guess, cliche, but he really told me the importance of of books and and reading and how helpful it was. And so I decided to read 100 books in a span of four years, just so I can really learn and improve my English skills. Because what I'd always heard growing up that the best way to improve our English was to just read. And I realized through that experience, like, wow, that, that is true. Like, because I noticed over the years, the amount of impact just reading had on my life. That's so cool. I love the little challenges that you do throughout your life that really kind of break some of the molds there. Flipping things back over to you, Nate, you also had to face some demons as well. Oftentimes, I know you mentioned you needed someone to give you some of the hard truths. I won't steal your punchline, but I know there's <laughs> two, there's two kinds of people that you need in your life. So bring that home. What are the yeah. two types of people that you need in your life? And who was one of those people that might have stepped in at the right time? And if you need a prompt, maybe Brad, your pastor, might be a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. So here, here's the thing. This is what I learned as I was continuing to grow. I was developing this thing called self-awareness. And I don't know that I had really ever had it before, but I, I found that I really, I need two types of people in my life, people that are going to know me and people that are going to know me. So people that will... K-N-O-W, know what I've been through, know what I struggle with, know when I'm like, I'm not just being an introvert, I'm actually isolating myself from others, know the things that deep down inside are my real insecurities, the things that I don't like to talk about, the things that I come off very confident, but man, only a handful of people actually know. Those I need people that know me. But then on the other side of that coin, I need people that will know, N-O, know me. No, Nate, that resentment doesn't look good on you. No, Nate, you, you probably you probably shouldn't talk to your wife like that. No, like I, I definitely wouldn't I wouldn't explore that because that's not actually who you are. And I, I know you better than that. And you don't need to be doing anything like that. You know, I, I've heard this quote a really long time ago. A good mentor, or sometimes people call him a coach, confidant, a pastor, they'll take you places that you desperately need to go that you didn't know you could. For me, I just want somebody in my life who's going to know me and know me. But that means that like, for me, it was this, this person named Brad and Brad stepped in at a point in my life where I didn't really value myself, but he saw potential inside of me that I didn't know was there. And he was willing to invest into me, but he was also willing to give me really hard truths. I love this quote that says, I don't want to take advice from people that I'm not willing to trade places with. Mm. So what does that mean? Well, I love uh, my uncle. And every time we have a backyard barbecue, we have a family get together. He always has the greatest and latest way to make money. Okay. 
the last time it was all about crypto and it's like, Hey, this, you got to catch on. You got to get on this way. Listen, I believe that there's ways to make money in cryptocurrency. I just don't know that my uncle has quite figured it out because he's broke. Okay. And he always <laughs> has the new get rich quick scheme. So I'm not willing to take advice from people that I'm not willing to trade places with. And so when someone's willing to pour their life into yours by giving you hard truths, by trying to guide you who can see farther ahead, farther than you can, that's when I start to listen. Hmm. I've tried to do things on my own for so long, and I'm just at this point anymore now, if I want to do something of significance, if I want to move my life forward, if I want to make an impact, somebody else has done it better than I have, and they've already gone before me. So why not learn from that? Take that advice in and actually, and here's the thing. When you find someone like that, do not waste their time by not taking their advice. It's not going to be good for you. And it's certainly not going to be good for them. And that was the hard truth that I had to learn really early on. And, and Brad did a really great job of guiding me, walking me through that and, and really loving me in a place where I felt unlovable. Yeah. I know he left a, a huge impact on you. Let's talk reprogramming, specifically around how you view other people. And I love both of your guys' stories because you ultimately came to this conclusion that people can be nice. And that, that, that through line did not necessarily represent itself early on in your life, but then it, it did very well so after the fact. So Ahmed, I'll start with you. I know this was one of your five learning lessons from your TED Talk. You, you mentioned five things that you learned from meeting 100 people that you know, one of the five was strangers are kinder than I thought. It's, it's a really interesting perspective because you've got this nice global perspective with your challenge. You know, it's, you know, went into the pandemic and it forced you to not focus on the 100 people that you could meet in person, but 100 people that you had to meet through some kind of video conferencing call like Zoom, I'm guessing, which allowed you to go and meet people all across the world. And you came to this conclusion that strangers are kinder than you thought. So how did you come to that assumption? Well, first, through this project, I ended up meeting my girlfriend, my mentor, and it got me my dream job. And so just Crazy. seeing the amount of connections and ripple effects that can happen just by meeting people, it's absolutely amazing. But what the moment that it really started to hit me was within the first 10 calls, I slowly start to, at the end of each call, I mean, each call is about an hour and 20 minutes long. And at the end of each one, people would say, even though like I've never been to their country, they're like, hey, if you ever come to my city, you can just crash on my place. I got you. I'll give you a tour and whatnot. <laughs> I'm just like, what's going on? You know, just confused. But what really, really, really hit me was when I met some girl named Charlotte. And Charlotte, at the end of the call, we had a great talk. And she was like, hey, Ahmed, can I ask you for something? And I'm like, sure. And she's like, I'd love to send you a gift. Can you send me your address? At that point, I'm like, what's the catch? <laughs> like, what's the catch? Because I had just met you. You know, why Why are you wanting to send me a gift? And it was my own sides. Like, this person is trying to, I guess, sell me something or just trying to, I don't know what's going on. But I decided to just go with it and, and say yes to that. She ended up sending me a book, her favorite book. And I told her how much I loved reading. And she just sent it. And I ended up reading that book and ended up being a phenomenal book. From that point on, I realized like, wow, you know, strangers can be kinder than I thought. And I saw that over and over again with someone sending me a birthday gift and like, hey, I'm going to send you a birthday gift in two months when it's your birthday. And I thought like, okay, they're going to forget. They're just saying that to be kind. And then literally they followed up. They actually sent it or just someone sending me a, a letter just thanking me for the experience and the conversation that they had. It just, just people can be so pure and kind. And a lot of times there can be so much chaos and unhealthy or gross things that are going on in the world that we tend to forget that. But just really taking moments to really see those small moments of appreciation can go a really long way. Can we also talk about number 13 as well? I know you learned or gained some real insight or wisdom from her. And I think that might be really useful in this conversation. Yeah. Number 13, everyone on this call, like absolutely blew me away. She was a dancer from Serbia, uh, but six years ago, uh, she was in the wrong place in the wrong time. And she was at this festival and was caught in a shooting that happened. And again, completely wrong place, wrong time. And she ended up getting shot six, seven times. 
she ended up being in a coma and they had to amputate her left leg. And so what had happened was absolutely devastating. And when she was sharing this, I was just feeling just so, so much shock. Wow, this person's alive right now. And this is what they've been through. And I almost felt horrible just, just imagining what they went through. But while she was sharing it, she was just almost like smiling because it was, I had been about six years since the incident. And now she's a public speaker and she's making an impact all around the world. And it made me realize just how often I make stereotypes about people because I'd always imagined someone going through what they did, just hating people and life, almost miserable. It's because of my own stereotypes and the way that I, the paradigm that I viewed the world. But people are different than what I think they are. I mean, every single person has their own story and it's unique in their own way. And it's a message I always heard a lot growing up. And even at the time I did my project, it was about, I think, 25 and so I heard a lot, but it just didn't really sink in. And in that moment, it really sinked in. Yeah, I definitely had a follow up on her as well. You mentioned her. I can't remember if it was in our conversation on Mike or before or after the fact, but I follow her on Instagram now and it's incredible what she's doing. I can't imagine getting your livelihood taken away. If she's a professional dancer, that means she probably danced the majority of her life up yeah. until that point. And then she lost her left leg and just out of just, you know, crazy luck, you know, wrong place, wrong time. So I think she'd be great on your podcast. I know. Uh, I know. I got to connect you on her. <laughs> <laughs> Reach out. Please connect us. I'd love I will, to have her on. So. <laughs> Nate, let's talk about you now. Once again, you did some reprogramming and found out people can be yeah. nice as well. We have talked about the indecency of prison and how much of an impact that made on you. Of course, you know, the lack of privacy, like having to use one of two restrooms in front of your 16 cellmates of, and everybody else yeah, that's working, working there. <laughs> I, I don't want to go anymore into that story. That, that seems like one of the hardest things I would have to overcome the first week or two. But also the treatment from everyone that was working there, you know, treated you as a second class citizen outside of maybe that, that guy that came in and, and played that song for you. And, you know, some of that might be deserved or you know needed and then you have to earn that back of course you made a mistake and you're in there for a certain reason yeah. but I, I i don't know if you kind of lost hope in people at some point in time but it seemed like it was somewhat restored fairly quickly after you were released do you remember the story you shared about your walgreens yep. encounter right after you were released yeah for sure and i even have like a follow-up story for that too so yeah. yeah so after six months in jail you're pretty much there's not a single nice word that's said to you the entire time that you're there and you're kind of always on edge and you almost forget what things look like because you see the same four walls non-stop you don't even have like a cell phone to at least try and escape through the wonders of instagram like you don't even get to look at beautiful people uh, you just are kind of like looking at a bunch of ugly dudes. And so <laughs> when I, when I finally got out, um, I was in the middle of this town that I had no idea where I was, but there was a Walgreens across the street. I was so thankful that my, uh, my dad was willing to Western union me a couple dollars so that I could buy a cell phone and get a place to stay for the night. And I walked into this Walgreens and as I walked in, you know, first of all, like I'm getting sensory overload because there's all these decisions and choices and the lights are bright and there's candy. Oh my gosh, candy. Then this lady, she walks over and she says, she says, Hey honey, can I help you? And it was just in that moment that that was like the first kind words that I had heard in a really long time. And just emotionally, I wasn't prepared for it. I just, there are a couple of tears just started to stream down my face. She was just doing her job. Just that kindness like really resonated with me. And so much to the point now, actually recently, I've never like really identified as a felon. It wasn't like a label that I carried with me just because I know that's like a disempowering label to have. It's hard to get jobs if you're a felon. It's hard to get apartments, to move forward with your life. So I just, has it been on my record? Yes. But do I identify that? No, I don't particularly walk around. I don't even, I forget about it most days. So it was really important to my wife and to me too, that we like got my record sealed and expunged. A few months ago, we went back to that same town, Cheatham County, Tennessee, and uh, it was Ashland City. I had called a lawyer to be able to, to take care of the legal matter for me. Her name was Miss Crabtree. Miss Crabtree had an office right across from the courthouse. And I got on the phone with her and I just started to explain my situation. And she goes, all right, slow down, honey. She said, why don't you explain to me what happened? 
And I said, well, so here's the deal. I got into some trouble a while back and I turned my life around. It looks nothing like what it used to. And I, I really just, I want to get this off of my record. And she goes, honey, I don't hear this very often, but whenever I do, it makes me real happy. The previous lawyer that I had called wanted to charge me $1,500 to get everything expunged and she ended up not charging me anything. And so just that kindness really resonated with me. And I think that the thing that really sticks out to me is that we can't judge books by its cover to just bring it full circle of like, I had no idea Miss Crabtree was going to do that. Truth be told, I was kind of intimidated by lawyers. My experience with all of them has never been good. She was definitely a blessing in disguise that I was really thankful for. Mm. Amazing. And, and I, I love that now you put a really high value on being nice as well. You know, that is definitely something that you focus extensively on, which is cool. So we got a, a couple audience questions here. So I'll try to throw them at you. Feel free. If you want to grab it, you can grab it. But Ahmed, I think you might be good to tackle this one first. When you do encounter judgment, how do you not let that affect your current drive to focus on who you are now and change the way that you think about yourself? For this one, what comes to mind is about five months ago, and this is an example that really pops up. Five months ago, I posted a, a LinkedIn post about how I actually had gotten, I guess, the job that I absolutely love at, at Seek Discomfort. And I really posted this whole story. and went into depth about how I really shot my shot and went above and beyond. And someone had commented as saying, like, the way you did that for your job and for the interview, you should not be going investing this much into an interview is just absolutely wrong. And this is bad advice. And instantly, it, it almost like took me back because even, even though I was seeing like so many great comments from strangers, that one, it just I kept on focusing on it. But what really, I think, grounds me, and it's actually really interesting that you brought Nate on here, because when, when, sh- when you were sharing that you're not going to take advice from someone you wouldn't switch places with, what I always say in my life is I'll never take advice from someone I don't want to be like. So I think there's so much overlaps, and I've seen that time and time again in my life. There's always going to be people that are going to, everyone loves to give advice. And not only that, I think someone I look, check out on social media is, he says, like, we're all recruiters as human beings. Like, we want people to do the things that we're doing. We want people to believe the things that we're believing. And sometimes, even if it's wrong, it makes ourselves feel good if we get someone to, to get on that path because it just, we feel like it's, it's better that way. I really try to emphasize uh, that point in my life that no matter what and no matter how much of an impact I'm going to make on, on myself or even just the world, there's always going to be people who are going to say things. At that point, I got to ask myself, do I want to be like that person or do I not? And if I do, then I'll really have a conversation and a dialogue. But if I don't, then there should be a time and place where I just put that judgment to the side and move forward in my life. I'm still working on it, yeah. but it's definitely, it's almost like a muscle. And that's something I'm trying to learn how to do more. Yeah. And just as a teaser too, I know you mentioned getting your job at Seek Discomfort. You have this wild story about how you actually went about that. I will give a small teaser here. It includes an FBI agent and a briefcase. So if you want to check that out, we got we got the whole story on my podcast. I'll throw a link out there if you guys are interested. But your story of getting this job is just so remarkable. And from somebody that used to be in talent acquisition as well, it always gets me really jazzed up. I'm like, yes, I would for sure hire you after all of that. Appreciate that. Nate, let's flip things over to you on the second question here. And if you have some more to add to the other one as well, I can. But uh, Martha asked, have you gone back to see or visit people who told you that success was not possible? Yeah, absolutely. So this was a really interesting journey for me of doing two things. Number one, I'm making amends for the things that I had done wrong. I think that's just so vitally important, especially like when you've wronged people to do everything that you can within reason to be able to make up for that. But also too, like people know a version of me that doesn't exist anymore. I'm going to say that again. People know a version of me that doesn't exist anymore. And so I can't blame them for thinking things about past Nate. I can't blame them for being upset with past Nate. I can't blame them for saying he is never going to change or, or success isn't possible because for that individual, that was true. But who I am now is not who I, who I was. And so the only thing that I can do is try and reintroduce myself. I think there's a song about that. <laughs> I think Jay-Z has. <laughs> I was about to say, that sounded familiar. <laughs> but reintroduce myself to these people and say, hey, that's not how I live anymore. And let me just show you who I am now. And hopefully 
They give you the opportunity. Sometimes they don't. Most people do. That's what I found in my journey that most people, they want hope. They want to believe in you. They want to believe that you can have a comeback story. Now, some people are emotionally damaged and sometimes that's our fault and we've got to do everything that we can to, to try and remedy that. But I can't, also can't control what someone thinks about me. It's not my responsibility. All I can do is, is make sure that my side of the street stays clean. I also believe that we've, we've all heard this quote. If you've been around the personal development space any amount of time, who you are is the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I just believe that's so true. And I've really, in the last couple of years, really dialed that in of like, if I'm going to, if, if that is actually true and I actually subscribe to that and I do believe that, I've got to take some personal responsibility on, on who I let into my life. And so I look at the, the top five people I send text messages to. I look at the top five people that I call or that I comment on their stuff on Facebook or, or Instagram. And it's like, do I want these voices in my life? Because the right voices are going to equal the right choices. Mm. And so I want to continue to, to mold myself and grow myself. And so sometimes, guys, sometimes that means we got to kick people out of the top five. And that's okay. And uh, people say, are you saying give up on people? to uh, walk away from some people. And if you're in a toxic relationship right now or a toxic friendship, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, and for some of you, maybe this is the permission that you need to walk away from that. Maybe this is the permission that you need to say, I deserve more and I'm going somewhere and I feel like who you are is not the person that I, I want to be associated with. And, and I love you. I love you to peace. Like I love you so much. But I love you enough to put up a boundary in my life and say, hey, if you want to be in my life, you've got to come through the front gate. You don't get direct access to me. And you'll be surprised. What I tell people is it's, it's not so much of just like giving up on others. It's more of like if your hands are full, it's hard to carry anything else. So we kind of just want to let go of a few things. Just let it go. And then you'll be surprised. You're open to receive more. And so now new people with new experiences and new visions for the future and, and new ideas of who you are man, those people begin to speak in your life. And now you start to make decisions out of that identity. And so, yeah, to just bring this full circle, going back and, and talking to people, I, I never want to rub it into anybody's face. I mean, I, I've heard this quote before and like an ego-driven Nate would get really high on it. Revenge or massive success is the best revenge. And it's like, yeah, that's me. I'm going to be super successful and prove them all wrong. And it's like to a degree, like, yeah, I, I do want to prove people wrong, but like not because I want to get revenge, but because, man, I think that I'm worth it. I think that I'm worth success. I think that the the impact that I'm going to make is worth it. I think that my family, my wife, I think that they're all worth me becoming the best version of myself, the best version possible. Not because I'm so great, but because, man, there's other people that are attached to my destiny now. I think that going back and, and making amends is right. I also, I guess I'm, I'm not so much concerned what, what other people think about me now, but that also comes from a, 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 some self-confidence that I have. And this confidence comes from, man, I, I'm walking in alignment with who I say that I am. If you say one thing and you do another, that voice inside of your head goes, that it, you are so full of BS and you're lying. And like, we don't, we have this cognitive dissonance on the inside of us. And that's when you start, that's when you start to hate yourself and then you start to like, not like who you are. And so when you walk in full alignment of like, not only do I, I, I speak things that are true, but I also walk that out. I do hard things and I do things that are good for myself. And I do things, I'm not perfect. And I'm not talking about being like a, a super striver where it's like, I, I've got to count my macros every day and I'm in the gym 16 days a week. And I've, you know, and I've also read 40 books this week. And I'm, you know, and this is my 30th podcast that I'm on. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, hey, when I, I do the hard stuff, when I say that I'm going to do something, I'm a man of my word and I have unwavering integrity. And I, I'm certain that the direction that I'm walking in is, is the path that's been laid out for me. And I'm going to continue to walk on that. That's where my self-confidence comes from. And that's why I'm not afraid or worried about what other people have to say about me so much. Every once in a while, an arrow sneaks in though, right? Like every <laughs> once in a while, they'll say something and be like, ooh, that's that hurts a little bit too deep, man. That's a little bit too close to home. But <laughs> but you 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 learn how to heal from that, and you walk and you you move forward, and you realize that and like other people's thoughts at the end of the day, they don't really pay my bills, so I can't be too too concerned about them. Yes. So we're closing up on our conversation here. You two are amazing people. Thank you for coming into my life and 
I've learned so much from both of you and I admire you guys both so, so much. Nate Dukes, I'll make a plug for you. If you want to check out his book, You'll Never Change, I'll drop a link to that. And you can also connect with Nate. Probably best place, I'm guessing, you'llneverchange.com. But Nate, you drop a link in if there's a specific place other than that that you want people to connect. Ahmed, I'm going to let you close things out here as well. Just kind of what's your what's what's next for you? I had a question in there that said, you know, how do you continue to challenge yourself? Do you find yourself challenging others as well? Anything on the horizon and just some closing thoughts. And, and I'll also plug Ahmed as well. If you want to check out his TED Talk, where he goes into the five lessons that he learned from meeting 100 different strangers from... 89 cities, 45 countries. I think I got those numbers right. I'll drop that link in there. His TED Talk is awesome as well. But but thank you to both of you. Beautiful, beautiful humans. Appreciate that, Justin. You're a phenomenal, phenomenal facilitator at this. Thanks, man. So like I said, final plug from you, man. What's going on in, in your life? What's, what's next? Yeah. So in regards to what I'm working on, two things I really want to focus on is one, learning how to be a better storyteller and public speaker. I have a long way to go. One big goal of mine is to get my own public speaking gigs. And this year, finally launched my first few gigs that are happening this fall. So super pumped for that. But I want to make sure that I do a great job at it. And then two, just working on my fitness. I have a tough motor race coming up. I'd love to do an Ironman one day too. So hopefully the next year or two, that's coming up. So it's really just focusing on myself and giving myself the skills that I want to grow in. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together.